Welcome back to another episode of 2X, the short bite-sized episodes where I share specific actionable insights for you to scale your business twice as fast. Uh, in this episode, I want to talk a bit about both culture, but also diversity and inclusion since it's a quote-unquote hot topic right now. Uh, first, in and around culture, um, obviously those of you who have the HR experience and background do know that it's more than just the superficial uh, elements of culture, like having, you know, a ping pong table, having certain um, social events on certain nights, those kind of things. Culture actually uh, comprises of a, a few more components uh, beyond that. And I wanted to go into a bit more detail um, beyond what we talked about in Tanya's episode on recruitment. So the way I view it, there are four main elements that define culture. Uh, the first, obviously, is your purpose or your vision of your organization. The second would be your values, uh, and these would be internal and external. I've talked a bit about values before, but I'll elaborate more here as well. Uh, but basically, values are kind of the ethos to how you achieve your purpose or mission. So, um, you know, how do you approach uh, certain decisions? How do you decide what is wrong, what is right, those kind of things. Uh, and then the third would be uh, your work ethic. So how does the organization look in terms of the day-to-day, -day, in terms of operations? Do people feel like they have to be at the office all day, every day? Do they feel like you know there's good balance where they, they're free to come and go whenever they wish? There's that flexibility. Or maybe do they feel like it's rigid in and around, like you have to come in at nine, clock out at five. But then again, there's also that, that freedom of like not having to work after five o'clock as well. So those kind of elements in and around how you work, your style of working. Uh, and then I would say the fourth and last element that that kind of speaks to culture is the organizational chart. So is it a flat organization? Is it hierarchical? Uh, hierarch hierarchical? Uh, or basically, you know, how how do you make decisions in and around uh, the organization? Do you have to escalate certain things through a certain chain of command? Um, you know, who is managing who, those kind of elements. So let, let's go into a bit of some of those in more detail so you can understand uh, how you will shape organizational culture and what to focus on as well. Um, before we jump to that, first off, understand that culture is a long-term play. What I mean by that is uh, culture will generally slow certain things down. Number one, it will slow decision-making process because as you... Uh, align people who are culture aligned, and I'll use that as a bigger catchphrase because that encompasses not only mission and, and value alignment, but as, as you look for uh, employees and team members that are culture aligned, naturally you will get people who have, uh, and you will want to have people who have stronger opinions that disagree with you as well. Not to say that a uh, uh, total disagreement is a good idea, but the idea here is the more diversity you get, and we'll talk about diversity in a second, uh, the better your ideas and the better your approach to innovation as well. So it will slow down both the hiring process, but also the decision-making process. Um, but uh, on the flip side, good culture generally means that you have, number one, a much better working environment. You're usually a lot more productive. And people are both not only more loyal, but they also enjoy working at the workplace a lot more. And, and because of that, the quality of work is a lot better as well. Uh, it's not a quick, quick money play, right? So if you are growing an organization with a quick objective to either turn around and sell it um, 
or maybe you are looking for an exit horizon, like an IPO or something like that, uh, you may not decide to prioritize culture and you may want to focus more on those mercenaries. And again, that that's not to say that that's the wrong approach. It really just depends on your objectives, right? Um, but I would like to say that obviously, um, ideally, whatever organization you're building, it's not purely for profit and that you have some higher kind of mission that your objectives are, are tied to and related to. So do understand it. So kind of diving down, um, the the mission, uh, obviously, uh, there's, there's a lot of content around there, but basically that's the why of your organization. A lot of companies know what they're doing, what they're selling, what they're providing as a service. Some companies know how they differ, especially how they differ from their competitors, how they're delivering. Um, but like Simon Sinek says, not a lot of organizations understand the why or kind of the, the mission behind why they do what they do. And that is super important to identify because number one, uh, by having clear articulation of your organization's mission or the why, uh, it will help uh, both customers understand and, and gravitate towards that identity because people like to buy into companies that they believe in, right? Because like, like you look at Apple, they, they basically sell computers, they, they sell phones, you know, Samsung, Dell, they do the same thing as well. But Apple stands apart because they have a certain brand identity that uh, consumers resonate with. So what is that why, right? Are you about uh, standing up for those who are thinking different? Are you about creating uh, easy to use experiences? Kind of what, what, how do you define what makes your, your organization or your brand um, the way it is? Then number two, the, the values is, I would say, the how. Right, so that that is both the values, but also things in and around things like uh, goals for your organization, like your your specific long term and short term goals, and certain expectations that you have in terms of how you would make decisions. So I won't go into uh, kind of setting up or, or defining company values. There's a lot of exercises over there, and I can chat more about those as well. But generally, when you think about ideas, some some kind of common mistakes that I see in a lot of organizations are number one. Uh, having too many organizational values. Generally, I find that at any given time, any organization only has the capacity to focus on the top three values. So try not to have more than three values. Uh, number two, uh, define those values very clearly. Have everyone in the organization understand what those values mean, because, you know, uh, let's say humor may mean one thing to one person and mean uh, another degree of humor to someone else. And you want to make sure that everyone's just on the same page, right? So uh, clearly define it. Number two, kind of uh, give give clear examples of uh, behaviors that exemplify those values as well. So those two things in and around values also understand that it's okay for values to evolve and, and change over time. Because as an organization is growing and scaling, certain priorities will change. It is okay to adjust your values as well. Uh, so that's the, the first thing to, to be mindful about in and around values. Um, and as you look at the, the value piece, you want to make sure that you work it in into every element of your organization. So not only your recruitment and screening in terms of looking for people who are value fit or value add, um, but you're also making sure that values is um, kind of true in, in and manifested in, let's say, your onboarding process and even in your day-to-day -day as well. So just be mindful of that. Um, so be very specific and kind of focus on the things that are top of mind, the key priorities, right? So 
top three values. The second thing I want to talk about is in and around how you try to manifest those values. The, the biggest thing that I see with a lot of organizations is they tend to default to the easier option, which is what I call push values. Push values are basically situations where you are doing things uh, and you're trying to exemplify those behaviors uh, through example. Uh, so some examples of those examples include uh, framing your values on the wall, making it highly visible, you know, celebrating people who exhibit certain behaviors indicative of those values. I would say those are not necessarily bad, but there are better ways of getting your employees to adopt those values. The reason why I say that is because when you push values on employees, uh, occasionally you run into situations where you create an artificial or insincere sense of those values. Because, you know, one example would be maybe you, you don't see upper management or executive level actually um, walking the talk, right? Uh, the, the other thing is as, as well is people feel like they're forced to conform to, to this new set of values that may not kind of resonate with their own personal values as well. So it's not to say that they're bad, but just be mindful that you also want to work in elements of what we call, what I call pool values. Uh, pool values are basically creating an environment where it better facilitates and encourages certain values, uh, behaviors that align with those values. So for example, you know, if you're trying to encourage innovation, uh, running hackathons are great, but running hackathons, that's more push, right? Uh, instead of that, you know, Google's 80-20 policy, that's a better example. Google encourages creativity and innovation by allowing employees to spend 20% uh, of their working time on projects that are outside their main project, right? And that actually encourages people to uh, feel comfortable, to feel um, that they have permission to work on other projects uh, that that are not their main focus, right? So that actually encourages uh, people to do more of that behavior. And number two, uh, if people are inherently innovative, they will be drawn towards Google because of, of that kind of policy as well. So it, it helps you better attract people who align with those values as well. Um, another example might be, you know, with Netflix, and again, this is um, from the outside, not, not, not with clear clarity on whether or not this is their intention, but Netflix, they basically communicate that they trust their employees and that they have an emphasis around well-being because they have this unlimited vacation policy. Right. So if you have any uh, need to take time off, you know, be it personal or family or what other reasons, uh, employees can basically take an unlimited time off uh, if they need to without uh, suffering any consequences. Um, obviously, there are some arguments to, to this. And some people say that, you know, it might actually create a reverse effect because people um, are worried about looking bad or or you know being seen as slacking off by taking too much time off. Um, I would say if you get those unintentional outcomes, it may be because you're not implementing it the right way. But if there is a healthy culture and if people are comfortable in and around um, having that freedom to take the time off, then it's probably being implemented uh, in a better way, right? So generally, you want to think about how can you uh, create those environments uh, with policies, with kind of... Um, the, the sense of uh, inclusion with the openness such that people feel comfortable doing certain things or uh, feel more encouraged to behave in a certain way. Make sense? So push versus pull. Um, so yeah, th those are just some, some things to think about in and around values. 
The last thing I want to touch on, I won't go too much into work ethic because I think everyone has a different style and that is all uh, up to personal preference. Same goes with organizational chart. Um, actually, I'll say one quick thing about organizational chart and structure is generally try not to be overly innovative. And the only reason why I bring that up is because most founders especially if you're starting something new, usually when you are building a new business, you're already doing a lot of experimentation. And I've said this before when I, when I, when I talk about sales as well. Um, you know, same, same goes for pricing as well. But generally, because you're usually uh, innovating with a new product or maybe you're serving an unserved market, you are already doing something new. Uh, there, I would say there, there isn't a necessary justification to introduce more elements of uncertainty because it increases the risk as well. So try to go with the, the proven methods or you know proven structures to begin with. Obviously, if you find that there's a different style that uh, better suits you or better suits your company culture, uh, I would say you can experiment and you can change and adopt over time. But I would say to start, start with what is already established, well-known, because that's proven. It works, right? So start with that. So same goes with organizational structure. So on, on the topic of DNI, this is a pretty big topic in this current day and age. Uh, and some organizations, I would say, are starting to do it right, but there are still many who don't approach it with the right lens. So I want to share uh, some of my, my personal insights in around this topic. So number one is um, when, it, when it comes to diversity and inclusion, uh, although diversity is the word that is typically mentioned first, I would say inclusion is much more important than diversity. Focus more on building that welcoming and inclusive culture where people feel comfortable, where people are open to respectful debate, to uh, conflicting voices, and to bringing up questions and co concerns, right? Uh, focus on that first, and you will naturally find that diversity will come a lot more naturally and, and be a bit better. And, and what I mean by that is if you focus purely on diversity metrics, superficial diversity metrics like you know, uh, race, uh, gender, sexual orientation, those kind of things, uh, and you don't fix the systemic issue of inclusion, then you may bring on a lot of these people. But if upper management does not reflect that diversity as well, and if there are maybe even more problematic systematic issues in and around the organization and how you make decisions, uh, then these people will eventually leave your organization anyways. Uh, and or even if they don't leave, they are stuck in a situation where they are not empowered to do the their maximum uh, because there are all these uh, issues in place. So focus on inclusion before diversity. Another thing that I that I think really resonates with me is instead of the superficial elements of diversity, is uh, if you focus on cognitive diversity, if you focus on bringing people with different opinions, different experiences, different backgrounds, naturally. You, your organization will reflect those superficial values of diversity because people who think differently come from different places, come from different backgrounds, come from different uh, lived experiences, right? Makes sense? So uh, keep that in mind. And the, the last thing I'll talk about uh, in relation to diversity is generally that the main concern is as an organization explores diversity, they worry that uh, they'll end up in a situation where they have too many employees that don't disagree on anything, right? And I would say you're looking for number one, a maximum amount of cognitive diversity. This includes things like experience, skills, expertise, because this allows you to come up with new ideas. Uh, it, it minimizes the overlap in terms of who's working on what. Uh, but 
there are other elements of diversities that you want to be mindful of. So number one uh, would be you want to have a moderate diversity of opinion. That means you, you shouldn't have a situation where everyone disagrees on everything. Having different background, different experiences, different skills does not equate to people disagreeing, right? You still want to have alignment. And where does that alignment come from? That alignment comes from, uh, number one, having a shared vision or mission. And number two, having shared values. Because if you agree on how things should be done, then uh, the, the diversity of opinion is going to be mostly uh, opinions related to what is the best approach. But generally, those people are coming up with ideas with the company's best interest in mind. Make sense? Lastly, you want to have a minimum diversity of power. So even if there is an organizational structure in place, you don't want certain people to feel like they are um, being suppressed, nor do you want to feel like people who, nor do you want to have a situation where people feel like they're kind of the, the head honcho of the organization and, and they call the shots, right? So a low diversity of power encourages people to feel like they can voice certain things, be comfortable bringing up uh, different issues. And the analogy that I, I really love is um, the ketchup sub substitute example. Uh, you know, in, in, in North America, ketchup is stored in, stored in the refrigerator. And when you run out of ketchup, Americans would default to an alternative like mustard or mayonnaise because that's also close, uh, stored in close proximity to the ketchup, which is why you see with fries, you know, it's quite common for people in North America to put, let's say, uh, dip it in mayonnaise or mustard if you don't have ketchup. In Europe, on the other side of things, ketchup is stored in the cabinet. And when you run out of it, uh, the alternative is to add vinegar or Tabasco, which is why, again, like if you, if you order fish and chips in Europe, it's more common to get it with vinegar. Makes sense? So when, when people have different backgrounds, different experiences, they come up with unique situations and, and solutions. So focus more on that cognitive diversity element and you will naturally find a much more efficient team that comes up with better ideas. Make sense? So yeah, those are kind of my, my quick two cents. Um, in and around inclusion, the, the final word I want to say as well is it's okay to have people not understand uh, people that look and feel different from them. But you want to make an environment where it's okay for those people to bring those things up and not feel that they are being judged for their ignorance as well. So, you know, let, let's say if you're creating an LGBTQ-friendly community, and some people obviously are, are raised in backgrounds where they are not well acquainted with LGBTQ, right? So you, you may want to make it such that it's okay for them to, to raise certain things but not in a discriminatory or, or off-putting way, but mostly to, to seek to understand, to better understand so that you can um, either relate to them or understand how they think, understand how they work, uh, and, and just personally um, be a better ally of them, right? So it, it's okay if people don't understand certain things. And it's okay if you don't get things perfect as long as you're working towards that with that intention of making it better. Uh, so yeah, those are the, the key things in and around diversity and inclusion and also culture. Uh, in the next episode, we'll talk a bit more about recruitment.